Well, good morning and happy 4th of July, everyone. I saw a whole lot of red, white, and blue and USA coming in this morning. That was very, very cool. I know some of you are happy because you have that shirt, and you can only wear it like two, three times a year. And so uh, there you go. See, I see that nod. Yep. And uh, so that's fantastic. I, this is, uh, it's an awesome day to celebrate what a uh, truly great country um, that uh, we get to live in and the many freedoms. I do believe that God put us here for such a time as this. It's hard to imagine a place where we have more freedom and more resources to bring about the kingdom of God in our sphere of influence. And so that is a, uh, a truly great gift. So uh, we celebrate that uh, today. Enjoy our independence and may we use it for the expansion of God's kingdom here and around the world. Also, just a big uh, thank you again for all of you who made Vacation Bible School possible. Uh, and to the parents, you guys shared your kids with us for a week. I know that wasn't a huge sacrifice for many of you, but, uh, but we really do appreciate both uh, the trust and the opportunity uh, to just uh, build into them this week and have uh, an absolutely uh, great time with them and doing what we love to do which is helping people come uh, closer to loving God uh, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving people as themselves. And so uh, that's a, a beautiful uh, privilege that uh, you have allowed us to participate in with your kids. So thank you for that. So it was the early 1800s. There was a young Irishman, Joseph Shriven, and he had recently graduated from the university, and he was ready to kind of get his life underway. And so he had returned home. He was uh, living near Dublin, and he had returned home to get married to his fiancée. Actually, it was his childhood sweetheart. And so it was the day before the wedding, and they had planned to meet between their homes along the riverbank. And so they rode out to meet in the middle, and something must have startled his fiancée's horse. And it reared and threw her. She hit her head. It was knocked unconscious and ultimately drowned in the river. The day before the wedding, Joseph Shriven was heartbroken. And he turned to the one great source of hope and solace. He put his faith more fully and completely in his God. Having sensed a need to leave Ireland, he ended up moving to Canada, and he found his place with a group of churches where he became known as sort of the consummate Good Samaritan. He was constantly helping people, and uh, he was known as the guy who would chop wood for all the people that couldn't chop wood or afford chopped wood for themselves. They would, they, they would say, hey, you know, maybe I could hire him to chop wood. One of their, their friends told a friend, he was like, no, 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 he won't do any of that for you. He'll only chop wood for those who need it, who cannot afford it. Widows and the infirm. He would also find his way toward the construction sites. At the time, they were building one of the great railroads. And uh, he would find his way to the construction site, and he would just read the Bible to the construction workers. That's how he spent his, his free time. Kind of like his version of, like I guess, like 
talk radio or podcast or something like that. He just follows you around reading the Bible. Feels a little weird, but I think it wasn't as weird back then. This is where he decided to spend his energy, his time, his, and fulfill his mission. It was a beautiful story. He fell in love again. She was a little bit sickly. She had a battle with tuberculosis, and then ultimately she caught pneumonia. And despite Joseph's best efforts to care for her, to nurse her back to health a few weeks before their scheduled wedding, she also died. Once again, Joseph, now shattered and heartbroken, turned to his deepening faith. A year or so later, his mother was still in Ireland. He got word that she was sick. They were, it's not like today, right? There was no travel back and forth in any substantial way. And so he knew he wasn't going to see her again. And so he decided to encourage her during this difficult sickness. He would write her a poem. And it was a poem that was not intended for public consumption. It's very different from a whole lot of the other things he wrote. This was a poem. It was a very personal poem. It was from his heart about his Savior to his mom's heart. And so he started it, writing to her what used to be called Pray Without Ceasing. And what he sent to her read like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. What a sweet old song. How many of you have heard that song before today? How many of you have heard some version of it? Yeah, right? So many of you have because this now called What a Friend We Have in Jesus, this poem turned hymn is considered to be one of the most widely sung hymns in all of Christian history. It is 175 years old. Talk about an oldie but a goodie, right? I wonder if we're going to be singing Ed Sheeran or Ariana Grande songs in 175 years. Like, you know, it's possible, I'm sure. I mean, I know we're going to be singing some songs from today, like Bon Jovi is going to make it, of course. Guns N' Roses, certainly. But like, like you know, you, you, just the most of them aren't going to be as wildly popular, in fact, gaining in popularity in some ways as this hymn 
has been. It has been sung around the world in countless languages. It, it has been covered by Tina Turner, dozens of country music stars, Aretha Franklin, modern worship bands like Shane and Shane, tons of famous choirs all over the planet, and even the folk rock Alabama has covered it. So you can go Google that one uh, later. See, something about this this poem, something about this song, it resonates in the human heart. It touches the soul. And it, you can't say it's the poetry. I mean, the poetry is all right. The, the tune, it's fine. You know, I mean, you look at it, you're like, all right, well, I mean, it's, it's all right. It's hardly noteworthy, though. And yet, and yet, something unbelievable seems to take place in the heart, somewhere deep in the soul. And so we're in this teaching series. We're actually going to be in it all summer. It's called Then Sings My Soul. And we're actually going to be taking a look at some of the greatest songs that have come down to us over the course of hundreds and hundreds. Actually, we're going back to 500 AD. And we're going to cover songs from the, the 1500s and the 1600s and the 1700s and 1800s and even up to this last century, some of the greatest Christian hymns and worship songs that have been sung around the world, uh, and why, right? Because you go around the world, you find out that Christians have loved to sing. We got that from our Judeo ethic, right? Our Judeo-Christian ethic. We got that from their love, the Psalms, the largest book of the Old Testament. We inherited this sort of, this joy of worship and of singing, because there is, some, there is some mysterious way in which songs, they can even transcend the spoken word and they, they kind of burrow into the human heart. They kind of burrow in there and they, they get deep inside of us and they offer us hope and, and direction and encouragement in a way few other things can. I mean, that was the case with Joseph Shriven. Heart broken. Such a tragic life filled with misery. And yet, he continued to take it all to Jesus, his friend, in prayer. This, of course, doesn't really surprise us. There's all sorts of incredible benefits that come to us through prayer. We know that. But that's what I want to focus on this morning, prayer. But I want to go in just a slightly different direction than what maybe we have normally done when we talk about prayer, right? When we talk about prayer, we often will give you the steps to prayer, right? We'll say, all right, this is how you pray. And so we talk about the acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That's how you pray, right? Or we have this one thing we do here, it's a, it's a journal, and we have an acronym for that as well, because apparently acronyms are needed for prayer. And so we, we do the here journal, and that's a way, and, and, and each person ends up coming up with their own sort of way of going to God in prayer. And for me, I, I use a version of St. Ignatius's uh, daily examine, and others have found that very useful. But, but that's not what I want to cover today. I want to really talk about the how of what we are doing. I want to talk a little bit more about the, the, the circumstances that exist in this world that make prayer not only a good idea, but an essential practice. And then after that, I want to just comment very, very brief, briefly on what it would 
Well, why it is that we can do that and assume that God would listen to us. Now, we're going to do that by looking at the most famous of all prayers that Jesus gave to us, which, of course, we all know. We know it as the Our Father. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It's a tiny little uh, few verses, but some of the most recited verses and probably the most recited uh, uh, words of all language ever because of how many people over the years have repeated this even on a daily basis. Everyone knows it. I remember it back even from my Catholic upbringing years, um, which kind of reminded me, I had, when I was uh, kind of doing this, uh, getting ready for this, it reminded me that some years ago I was called in to do a funeral for a stranger. I mean, that happens every once in a, once in a while for pastors, like a nursing home or a funeral home will have your contact from something and they'll say, hey, this person requested a Christian you know, funeral and, you know, you're in our Rolodex and so would you come out? And it's a little bit awkward because you don't really know people and you don't know all their stories and stuff. But, you know, we usually try to, you know, be there and, and try to offer some hope and some comfort and all that. And so in our traditions, we generally don't pray uh, as often kind of the rote memorized prayers. We sort of pray a little more, you know, extemporaneously, right? We just sort of pray. And so I got up there in front of this crowd of people. I didn't know a single person. And I started my prayer by saying, you know, you know, Father in heaven, we want you to, you know, just be with us today. And it was something like that. But because I started with Father in heaven, the whole room started reciting the, the Our Father. And I was like stunned because, of course, I'm supposed to be talking. You're supposed to be listening. And all of a sudden, the whole room is reciting it. And then I panic because I realized, do I know all the words, how they know the words? And so, like, I have to start mumbling it partway through. I'm like, I'm not trying to run and Travis passes debts from Shigeru's to evil. <laughs> Let's hear it from you. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Anyway, so we're at Matthew 6. This is then, Jesus even tells us, this then is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, and you guys know this, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is this? Give us today our daily bread. And... See, there's all sorts of confusion there. Debts, trespasses, we don't really know what we're supposed to say. As we have forgiven our debtors or trespassers and lead us not into temptation from the evil. So, why is it that we need to pray? Why is it we need to pray? That's the first kind of thing I want to unpack here a little bit. Because I think sometimes... We don't really kind of acknowledge the reality of this world we live in that makes prayer such a vital component. And I think it's why so many of us don't pray with any sort of regularity or fervency. The answer, I think, starts with a realization that there is more to this life than we see, taste, touch, or smell. There's more to this life. And this is important because Jesus starts off in, his ver in verse 9. He says, that there is an alternate reality, our Father who art in heaven. It's an alternate reality, you could call it. You can call it another dimension. There is this part of the creation that we don't always get access to, this realm called heaven. Now, this is a fascinating reality for us. And I know that there are some here, not many, but there are some who would actually doubt that there is anything other than what we can see with our own eyes. And I totally get it. You know, I, I, I certainly have had a, my own months and even many, many years of skepticism 
Uh, and here's the thing, if you are correct, if that's you this morning and you're correct, then everything that I'm about to say this morning is foolish nonsense. <laughs> and so, you know, there you go. So you can check me out, tune me out, whatever you want. But here's the thing, if you are wrong, if you are wrong about that, then this, then this life that you are experiencing is only the very, very beginning of your existence. It's the very beginning of it. And there is this eternity out there and there are these other creatures out there and there are these other realms out there and that we will one day come to see and understand these things with a stark clarity. At the very least, it is worth considering because, of course, it's not just me who is saying this, right? I'd, I think you'd want to at least consider what Jesus says about the next life because he is uniquely qualified, Right? Just think that through for me. Between you, in the more skeptical way that you might manifest that, and him, between you and him, only one of you has died and come back from the dead. You think you'd listen to the guy that's already seen it. Right? It only makes sense. And so if, in fact, any of this is true, the consequences of that are transforming for how you live every day of your life. So I'd suggest you be dead sure. And so we pray because there is this direct line of connection to this other unseen realm. Also, by the way, research scientists, they have found there are many benefits to prayer, right? It increases calm, it decreases stress and anxiety, which I think there's probably a couple of us could benefit from right now. It helps us overcome anger. Our relationships, they say, get better because those who pray tend to understand and wrestle with forgiveness more than those who don't and all of this. But there, and those are great things and that's fantastic and there should be some little piece of motivation in there for you, but, but prayer is so much more than that. Because there are realities that make prayer essential. Like, for instance, there are trials that are simply too heavy for our shoulders alone. We've all experienced this. Shriven wrote, Shriven wrote of this. He said that there were trials, there were troubles, there was discouragement. Are we weak and heavy laden, encumbered with a load of care? And Jesus, the way he phrased it, is give us this day what? Our daily bread. Wait a second. So... Jesus is actually acknowledging that every single day you will face needs, circumstances, and situations that you will need divine involvement in. And so I think that's totally clutch here because what, what burden are you carrying this day? What is threatening to overwhelm you this hour? If you felt like you might get past your breaking point sooner than later. This promise from Jesus that we get to bring our daily needs before God who listens, it gives us great peace in tumultuous times. But there's another reason. There's, there are sins that are beyond our self-help efforts. In verse 12, we're told to pray, forgive us our debts, temptations. 13, Lead us not into temptation. This is us seeking divine help for our sins. So I, I just want to break this to you, and I know we have some guests here, so I, just, I want to be super gentle. This might be shocking. You're a sinner. 
And I know that because it takes one to know one, and the reality is we are sinners. And so I was uh, reminded recently of a story. You know, you spend time with my, I spent time with my dad, and there's like old stories come up, and I'm like, they shouldn't talk about those too much. But um, in this particular one, uh, he reminded me that uh, one year I was a teenager, and my friend and I thought it would be a really great idea to shoot cars uh, going down the street with a BB gun. And so uh, I had the BB gun, and it was a really good one, like a 10 pump, and you could push it to 12 and really get a pow out of it. And so we had BBs, and we had pellets, and, and so we, this was going to be a great idea somehow. And uh, so we took a position up in the woods, pretty far from the street, because this was a serious BB gun, and then we would just time it so that we you know, try to hit the cars as they're, you know, as they're driving by. And so this is why we asked the kids to leave. Um, so you can deny any of this later. Uh, no, but uh, so uh, we were doing pretty good, and I was a really good shot, had a scope and everything. So, But uh, one guy, apparently, he somehow caught us in the woods out of the corner of his eye, his, corner of his eye and he kind of recognized us, and it happened to be one that we hit. Pow. And so we, he screeches his car to a stop, and he starts giving chase, but we're too quick, and we know that it woods, and so we disappear. We get to our homes, and uh, then I begin my preparations, right? And so you get it an hour later, right? Right? And so the cop comes to the door. He's like, Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Kelly, yeah. Um, the guy said that your son, you know, shot his car with a BB gun. Does your son have a BB gun? Yes, he does. Because, uh, you know, that back then they were all in cahoots, the parents and the, the cops were in cahoots against you. And so, and so, they, uh, so they did. They, so they were like, yes, he does. And they came to me and I came out. They're like, what happened today? And I'm like, what? And they're like, you know, you shot a car. I'm like, I did not. He must have thought it was me. But, you know, the kids, we all look alike, right? It's far. Where was I supposed to? I didn't shoot anybody. And they're like, the cops like, really? And I go, I, even had, I haven't had this BB gun out in the longest time. Like, I'm not even sure I know where it is. And my mother is like, right, right, okay. And so he's like, well, can I see it? So we, sure. So we go into my bedroom, and I'm like, oh, so where is that thing? So I look under the bed. It's not there. I look in the bottom of the closet. It's not there. And, oh, look at that. There it is on top shelf of the closet. And I can't reach it because I was shorter. I'm still short. And then so I had to get a step stool, and got to get the step stool and climb up there and Pull the, the gun out, which was in its original box with a lot of the packaging, um, all wrapped up nice. And I pull it out, and I open it up, and I show him. It was clearly hasn't been used in the longest of time. And he's like, do you have ammo for this thing? I'm like, oh, I'm sure I did at one point. I don't know where. It's empty now, of course. There's no ammo in it, and there's no ammo in the box. But I'll look around if you really want me to find the ammo. And so I did. I looked around in the three, four, five drawers, and I finally found just a little pack of BBs down on, no pellets, interestingly, down on the bottom of one of the lowest drawers. So at this point, of course, the cop's like, well, clearly the guy was mistaken. You know, obviously this is not the kid in the gun that he saw. And so, you know, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Kelly. I'm sorry, Robert. Such a proud moment. I mean, this is the reality, though, right? I mean, that's, and that's literally child's play when it comes to sin, and we get so much more sophisticated as the years go on. So we do things 
that we don't want and we say things that we absolutely know that we shouldn't and we get angry at circumstances and at people that we know very, very soon it's going to embarrass us and humiliate us and yet we still continue to do it. And then we end up carrying shame and we carry guilt for bad decisions and for hurtful words that we let slip out and then there are the, the dark thoughts that, that, that we have never shared with anyone. When you sin, the scriptures tell us that we're not only sinning against them, we're sinning against him. All sin is ultimately a rebellion against a holy God. And that unsettled sense that you often get deep inside your soul that you aren't good enough, that if people actually knew who you really were, that they would not love, they would not respect, they would not trust you, that unsettled sense that you will sometimes get, these are all symptoms of sin. And you can't fix this problem yourself. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. That's the whole of the message of the Scriptures from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in the book of the Revelation. And this is why Joseph would say, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We also find out that we have an enemy that is beyond our strength. So here's a little quiz. Ready? Bible quiz. How exciting. Everyone loves Bible quizzes because they're just not embarrassing enough. But this one's simple. You lead us not into temptation, but you deliver us from? Ah, some disagreement in the room. I say we settle it with arm wrestles. Some said evil and some said evil one because in actuality, it can go both ways. There is a personification of evil throughout the scriptures and a naming of the arch evil, the chief of evil. And so some will pray, save us from evil, which just by extension means from the evil one who is producing all of this evil. And others, we pray it as the evil one so that we can recognize that there is in fact an enemy, a powerful enemy that is hell-bent on destroying you and the people that you love and everything that you hold dear. In the scriptures, the names that he is given, this evil one, are terrifying. He is a ravenous lion. He's called the splitter, the divider of people and the, and the splitter of relationships. He's called the Satan or the devil or the accuser who is constantly waging a PR campaign against you. Are we really fool enough to take on this supernatural enemy by ourselves? So we have trials that our shoulders cannot carry and we have sins that are beyond our own best self-help efforts. We have an enemy that is beyond our strength. My friends, this is why we need to go to God in prayer. The question still remains though, why will God listen to our prayers? Why will he listen to our prayers? And of course, we're told in the first the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, right? What are they? Our Father. The way Joseph put it in his poem, it was Jesus, his dearest, most precious 
friend. But not everyone has this picture of Jesus or of God. I remember growing up and they would tell me, you should pray to Mary because she's the nice one. And she has favor with her son Jesus who's kind of busy, but she can get his attention for you. I was like, what? All right. But I think it was Jesus who was on the cross. And how many of us have a picture of God as this harsh and angry and critical and judgmental kind of a deity, distant, powerful, frightening, terrifying even. This is so heartbreaking. I've talked to so many people, they, they have such a deep sense that God is disappointed with them, that they didn't reach their you know, religious or righteous or good capab- capacities, and now that because of that, God's just, if he's not angry, he's at least disappointed. He's sad because, you know, you didn't really amount to much. Jesus, he takes all of these ideas, he turns them upside down and he turns them backwards and he sets them aright. And he says, listen, you want to know the single best way? The single best way for me to describe God, the almighty, the omnipotent one, the creator of the universe? You want to know the best possible way to describe him? Dad. Dad. You want to know why it is that God will listen to your prayers. Then just think through what the perfect, ideal, most gracious and loving and kind father that you have ever seen, maybe you've had, maybe you didn't have, but you observed it in another house. Just imagine the absolute best human father and multiply that by 10,000. And you start to get a picture of who God is. This is why Joseph can go back time and again and say, it does not matter what you go through. It does not matter what challenges you face. It doesn't even matter the things that are happening that you don't even know that God or Jesus is involved in. But you have this incredible privilege of taking all of these moments back to him in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, I think so many of us, we're comfortable keeping God at arm's length. In fact, we would prefer to keep him at arm's length. But why? Why would you want to do that? And you'd say, well, I don't know what he's going to demand of me. I can assure you whatever he demands of you, if that's how you wish to understand it, will be what a loving father would want for every one of his kids. Yeah, but you know, I'm not really sure. I don't know if I want to get into this whole Jesus thing. I don't know if the, you know, this whole religious thing is really for me. It's really kind of for people who over there need it. Listen, if you don't think you need it, you got to do some deeper soul searching, my friends. There is a whole world out there we're beginning to wrestle with and grapple with and just take a look around us now. If you think the world doesn't need more access to a benevolent and powerful God, who describes himself as father. I don't know what news you're reading. Why would you want to keep him at arm's length? The way Joseph talks about it in his poem, he says, you know, there's all this needless suffering that we, that we endure. 
Why? Why, why continue to embrace the needless suffering? Why continue to wrestle with all of these challenges on your own when, when God the Father is inviting you back and he's saying, come spend time with me and with Jesus, your friend. If you want to take a very next step, I would encourage you. Maybe you haven't done this before. Maybe it's a practice you've never done this week. Pick up a Bible, download the app, check out the New International Version, start in the Gospel of John, read one chapter a day. Try it, try it for a week, try it for two weeks, try it for a month. Read a chapter and then just pray. Just have a conversation with your Heavenly Father. Pour your heart out. Confess your sins and your struggles to your friend, Jesus. And let's just see if after a week or two weeks or a month, let's just see if God meets you special in those moments.